You can open your Bibles to Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 53. Mark 14. And while you're turning there, I'll just say real quick that our family is very thankful uh, for the time that the church gave us away uh, in July. It was a very sweet time. Uh, we knew it was a special time, kind of a once-in-a-lifetime kind of thing. While it was happening, our kids loved it. My wife loved it. We had a blast. And uh, there are lots of sweet memories and wonderful things that I'd be happy to share with you uh, later. Uh, not right here, right now, but it was very sweet, and we were really thankful for it. And so thank you very much for that. But it is good to be back with you. We'd much uh, rather be here than anywhere else. And we are thankful for that. But Mark chapter 14 starting in verse 53. And they led Jesus to the high priest. And all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. He was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him and saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet, even about this, their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witness do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, Prophesy! And the guards received him. Blows. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. But he went out into the gateway and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him, saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. But again he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Well, 
regardless of how old you are, maybe if you're younger, you don't know. But certainly if you're in your 20s or older, there's certain trials that have happened in your lifetime that have kind of captivated a country. Um, for whatever reason, the most recent one seemed to be Johnny Depp. That's all the news ones to talk about, Johnny Depp. Uh, but there have been numerous trials, probably in your lifetime, that you can think about, that you were waiting to think about and see what the verdict was and to hear facts and to know more. And you have jurors in trials, and they ask you questions before you're going to be on the jury, and they want to know, do you have any biases against this person? They want to figure out if, if you would make a good, impartial juror. Well, these men who are with Jesus are not impartial. And we have two trials of sorts in these texts. We have one with Jesus and one with Peter. A simple read-through uh, the Gospels will show us that uh, Jesus is constantly in conflict with religious leaders. You know this, many of you. They want him gone. And finally, now they have him arrested. And they do it in the middle of the night, away from the crowds, because they're afraid of the crowds. And it's fitting that they do it in a garden, because Adam disobeyed in the garden. But Jesus, the better Adam, is going to obey the Father. So Adam disobeyed in the garden. Christ obeys in the garden. And Mark is going to go back and forth between Jesus and Peter. And we'll see as he does this that Mark is highlighting the faithfulness of one and the failure of the other. So he starts with Jesus. And he says they led Jesus to the high priests. And all the chiefs and the elders and the scribes came together. And then in verse 54 it goes to Peter. And Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards, warming himself by the fire. And now look at 55. Now the chief priest and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. Their whole goal was to put him to death, and they were dead set on trying to figure out a way to find some testimony that would allow them to put Jesus to death. That's their entire goal, and so these it's wicked and wrong, and they can't come up with anything. They didn't have the authority to put him to death just because they wanted him to die. They needed Rome to put him to death. But they needed a charge to bring up against him so that they could get Rome to, bring him, to put him to death. And they tried and they tried and they tried. And some testimony came up, but scriptures say they found none. What a wonderful phrase. They found none. And we know why they didn't find any. Because Jesus obeyed the law perfectly. Not once did he ever disobey his heavenly Father. And try as they might, they would never honestly find any charge to put him to death because Jesus was pure. He was not stained by sin. He was faithful to God. He was righteous and he was tempted as you and I have been tempted, except for he never gave in to that temptation. He is holy. And so they found none. And so they've come in the middle of the night. They finally get Jesus they wanted to arrest him before, as I've said, right? But Matthew 21, 46 tells us that although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him, Jesus, to be a prophet. 
And so they came in the middle of the night when there's no crowds around him because they were cowards. They finally get their man, but now they're stuck because his record is spotless. This is clearly not a well-thought-out plan. But when men are worked up in the mob mentality, they aren't thinking clearly. No plan. Just arrest him. We'll figure out the rest later. But they can't come up with a testimony that would let them put him to death. And so then they try to lie about it. We see that in verse 56. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. They realized that no one had any real testimony, so they revert to lying about him. But they can't even do that well enough because their testimonies weren't agreeing with one another. They kept contradicting themselves, and nothing was sticking. Even though they were lying, they can't even come up with false testimony to not contradict themselves, to put him to death. And so I would imagine that these men are not happy at this point. They already were not happy, but now they're probably even more furious that they can't get together and figure out how to make a plan to put Jesus to death. And Mark continues in verse 57. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this, something that Jesus said, they're trying to actually use his words, even about this, their testimony did not agree. You can almost see how rash and unplanned this whole thing is. Their hatred for the Son of Man is so easy to see, even between the lines. And it's ironic that they're going through all this trouble. Because what they're trying to do is they're trying to uphold the law. Right now, that's why they're doing it. Instead of just going and killing Jesus in the garden, they're trying to uphold the law. They're trying to take it to the high priest and bring testimony against Jesus so that they can follow the law that's written down. Deuteronomy 17.6 says, On the evidence of two or three witnesses, two or witnesses or three witnesses, the one who is to die shall be put to death. A person shall not be put to death on the evidence of one witness. The hypocrisy is so thick. Deuteronomy 19.15, A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses shall a charge be established. They are trying so hard to obey the law. Meanwhile, their hearts couldn't be more displeasing to the very one who gave them the law. And it's easy to have disdain and anger towards these wicked men because you have never had that same kind of hypocrisy. You never uphold the letter of the law. Meanwhile, you're totally violating the spirit of the law. Sure. You have filters on your computer so you don't see explicit images. Meanwhile, your eyes are wandering and lusting after every woman around you. Sure, you serve your husband, but you're doing it so that you can manipulate him later and get what you want. 
kids, you obey your parents, and you do a good job for the afternoon. That's because you're going to ask for something later. You've never done that, have you? No, if we're honest, we are more like these men than we want to admit. Now the high priest is going to get involved here. Look at verse 60. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? Now Jesus had talked about rebuilding the temple in three days. And they brought that up. But he was talking about himself. He was not going to knock down a physical building and rebuild it in three days. He was going to die and be resurrected. And these men were using the words that he said to try to get him in trouble, but they couldn't do it. But the high priest, he starts asking him about this. And it's probably fair because he's picking up on the type of claims that Jesus would be making. Because the Jews would have thought that with the coming of their long-awaited Messiah would come a renewing of the glory of the temple. And so the high priest starts to press on this idea that he must be claiming that he's the Messiah. And so we see that Jesus doesn't respond in verse 61, but he remained silent and he, he made no answer. Then the high priest he gets even more pointed and he asks Jesus, are you the Christ? the Son of the Blessed. Now he's not playing around. The high priest is getting as direct as he can, and he's asking him, are you the Christ? <coughs> now if Jesus says yes to this question, they will have the proof that they are looking for. Because here is a man who is claiming to be God, and he is blaspheming, and they can charge him and put him to death. He would have to be a blasphemer in their eyes, because... Their Messiah, he would never be in such a lowly position, being arrested and looking weak and helpless. So if he says yes in their minds, he has to be blaspheming because their Messiah would never look like this man. And then Jesus finally responds. And if you were just reading this quickly through your devotions maybe one morning, you could read it quickly and miss the gravity of this moment, but this is one of the most tense and profound moments in Mark's gospel. Jesus is finally going to speak, and he's going to answer them. The high priest asked him if he is the Christ, the Son of the Blessed, in verse 62, Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. No one in the room with Jesus thinks that what he has said is true. Because their Messiah would be coming with power, defeating his foes. But what's profound in this very moment is that Jesus is doing exactly that. He's defeating his foes in this moment. If you read Mark, so much of Mark's gospel is leading up to verse 62. I mean, Jesus has often kept his identity secret, When people rightly answer about who he is, he's told them not to tell anyone. 
And yet at this moment, this is the time that he reveals openly that he is the Christ. And this moment is such a paradox. One commentator said, from the narrative level, Jesus is overpowered and he cannot save himself. But with this verse, at the theological level, however, he reigns supreme. Jesus seems so helpless in this moment. He seems like he has no authority and power as he sits there arrested, being mocked, lied about. And yet at the same time with his response, he has virtually said, I have all authority and power in this room and on this earth. And he says something that would have been familiar to those around him. He says, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. <coughs> if you have cross-references in your Bible, you may see it refer to Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Jesus is also referring to Daniel 7, 13 and 14, where he says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed and so Jesus is very powerful and precise and purposeful with his words that he chooses to respond with. He is on the nose. He's directed it right at the men who would have known these verses and these references. They would have known that he's claiming to be the Son of God. I am, Jesus says, and you will see me seated at the right hand of power coming with the clouds of heaven. Jesus is saying, I have all power and authority. You may think you have all power and authority in this moment, but it is not true. R.C. Sproul says on this section that Jesus was letting them know that this would not be the last time that they would meet in the context of a trial. See, Jesus is going to be sitting at the right hand of power meaning he would have a power and authority to judge the earth. And so this claim from Jesus is so giant and weighty that it's hard to overstate what a massive moment Jesus' words here are. And the group responds exactly how you would expect them to respond. Look at verse 63. And the high priest tore his garments and said, what further witness do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. They're so upset by the words that Jesus has said that the high priest tears his garments in anger. It might seem odd, but if they were mourning or they were angry, and obviously he's angry, Jews would tear their garments Now, he thinks he's so righteously angry, and yet he is not. Everybody condemns him, deserving death. They've got him. They finally 
got them there. They spent all this time trying to lie to get their testimony to line up. And Jesus, in the providence of God, gives them the testimony that they need to condemn Jesus to death. And then, verse 65, some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying, Prophesy! And the guards received him with blows. And I love verse 65. Because if you think about it, they're mocking Jesus and they're telling him to prophesy. Meanwhile, they are fulfilling prophecies about Jesus in this very moment. They think they're so smug and funny, telling him to prophesy and joking with their friends. Meanwhile, they are fulfilling the prophecy spoken about Jesus, proving him to be the very Christ that they're mocking. Again, if you have cross-references, you might see Isaiah 56, which says, I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. These men, who think they're so funny with their friends, are fulfilling Isaiah 56. This is part of God's plan. The men have arrested Jesus. They've gotten the testimony that they need. Jesus is on his way to death, and they have condemned him by his extraordinary testimony. And now we move from Jesus to Peter. Jesus had a trial up in the upper room. But Peter is about to be on trial in his own sense. And another irony that was pointed out from another commentator is this. While, Je while these men tell Jesus to prophesy, at the very same time, the prophecy that Jesus made about Peter is taking place. Verse 66. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. Now, Peter is pretty gutsy. He always gets made fun of because we think we're not as foolish as Peter. But you have to admit that Peter has guts. He's a coward, as we'll see. But he's probably less of a coward than you and me. Because Peter is in the courtyard. These men arrested Jesus not long ago. And remember in Luke's account, Peter cut off a guy's ear. Jesus puts it back on. And so I would imagine that this same guy is probably upstairs, the one who Peter cut his ear off, the same people who saw Peter near Jesus are right upstairs. He's down below in the courtyard. But Peter has still come to the courtyard. And that takes guts. And he's there because he loves Jesus. And the servant girl, the high priest, remember that's the man who ripped his clothes, is in charge. It's one of his servant girls. He recognizes Peter and says, you were also with the Nazarene Jesus. And he denies it. And not only does he deny it, but he starts to physically retreat. He was in the courtyard below, and now he's kind of moved back to the gate. He's starting to retreat. He's retreating physically, but his heart is also retreating from Jesus, too. But he doesn't leave. 
Now, most of us wouldn't have even shown up to the courtyard, if we're honest. We'd be too afraid after Jesus was arrested. Most of us would have been long gone, trying not to get arrested ourselves, but almost certainly, if someone had spotted us the first time, we definitely would have left. But Peter retreated a bit, not all the way. Because we see the same servant girl is going to see him again and begin to start telling the other people about Peter. Verse 69, the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. But Jesus again, excuse me, Peter again denied it. Peter first denies Jesus privately to the girl. Now he's more publicly denying it to the bystanders. And somehow, Peter is still kind of hanging around him. He still hasn't left. And now others are going to start getting involved in verse 70. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. Listen, first... Peter privately denied Jesus. Then he more publicly started to deny Jesus to the bystanders. <coughs> and now gets what's happened to him. Peter is swearing under oath that he does not know who Jesus is. And he is telling everyone that he should be cursed by God if he's lying. There is no way for Peter to more strongly deny that he knows Jesus And again, the irony is so strong. Peter is so afraid of the men around him, and he feels so unsafe that he's lying to get out of trouble. Meanwhile, he couldn't make himself more unsafe by testing God and lying before him and invoking a curse upon himself. He actually makes himself less safe when he lies for the purpose of trying to make himself safe. Just think about what he's doing on top of this. Jesus has given his life to Peter. He has invited him into his family. He has taken care of Peter, and he has loved Peter dearly and faithfully for the past few years. Jesus has patiently taught Peter and disciplined his foolishness time and time again because Jesus loves Peter so much. But look how quickly Peter deserves Jesus. And immediately, verse 72, immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and he wept. The rooster crows as Jesus prophesied, and the weight of what Peter has just done hits him like a brick. If you look up at verse 31, same chapter, Mark 15. Look what Peter says to Jesus when Jesus prophesies that he would deny him. But Peter said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. Emphatically, Peter said, I will never deny you, Jesus. And here... Peter is doing the very thing that he promised Jesus and himself he would never do. He breaks down and begins to weep. He 
because he's faithful. And church, you are like Peter. You have been ashamed of knowing Christ. And he has been nothing but caring to you over the years. You have denied him at times, and you've done things you swore you would never do. You fear, your fear and your self-service have led you to do things that you would have never thought you would do. You and Peter are very similar. And so let's step back and notice something. Both of these men were on trial. Jesus upstairs, above the courtyard, and Peter in the courtyard down below. The men upstairs were speaking lies about Jesus, but they were speaking truths about Peter. They were saying false things about Jesus, but the servant girl and the bystanders were speaking truth about Peter knowing Jesus. And when Jesus finally responded, he responded with truth. When Peter responded, he responded with lies, even so boldly testing God by invoking a curse upon himself and promising he didn't know Jesus. Jesus is faithful, Peter is unfaithful. Jesus is faithful, and he's so faithful, it's going to end up costing his life. Peter, because of his fear and unfaithfulness, is trying to preserve his life, and he denies Jesus. Peter loves himself so much that he's going to spit on and deny his relationship with Forsake all those years that he's had with Jesus and give it up. And I love what one pastor said. He said, Peter is showing us that even at our best, we are weak. Remember, Peter's the best disciple. He's the only one there. And even he denies Jesus. I've said that pastors make jokes about Peter, but Peter was the most faithful. No other disciple came to the courtyard. Peter is at the courtyard because he loves Jesus. He really does love Jesus. But the whole point that Mark is trying to show us is that even the best of us are too weak and unable to love Jesus as we ought. Not even Peter can be faithful, and neither can you. Jesus is faithful. Peter is not. Jesus is faithful. We are not. This is the last thing that Peter says in Mark's gospel. It's a lie. Peter has forsaken his closest friend. The one who has been so kind to him, he has betrayed in the most serious way. And the last recorded thing come from Mark's gospel, from Peter's mouth, is him invoking a curse upon himself, saying he doesn't even know Jesus. And you would think that that kind of unfaithfulness, that Jesus should abandon Peter. I mean, Peter knows. He's heard Jesus say back in Mark 8, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in glory of his Father with the holy angels. I mean, Peter heard that. And he was ashamed of Jesus 
Peter has forsaken him in one of the worst ways possible. And it would be just and right for Jesus to forsake Peter. But I want you to turn to Mark 16. Just a page over, Mark 16. Because when you read Mark's gospel, it's easy to just gloss over these small things. This is one of the most beautiful verses in Mark's gospel. Starting in verse 5. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right side, dressed in a white robe. And they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus the Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to the Galilee. There you will see him. Just as he told you. Peter was so unfaithful to Jesus. And yet look at Jesus' love for Peter. He's risen from the dead and God singles him out and says, go tell the disciples and Peter. He should have forsaken Peter because Peter forsook him. But Jesus loves Peter. And Jesus remains faithful to his sheep even when they are unfaithful to him. And church, you are unfaithful to Christ. Be honest. You are like Peter. Honestly, you're worse than Peter. You're unfaithful. You deny Christ. You think about preserving yourself over loving Christ. You commit these sins that are horrible, that you would have sworn years ago you would never do. Just like Peter emphatically said and swore he would never do. You are unfaithful, and you should be abandoned by God. And yet God has not abandoned you. He has kept you even when your heart has been cold towards him for weeks, or cold towards him for months, or cold towards him for years. His heart has not been cold towards you. Jesus should have given up on Peter. He should have given up on you, me, and yet he is the perfect shepherd and not one of his sheep does he lose. So will you just admit your failures to Jesus? Admit your failures to Jesus and be thankful that he doesn't treat you as you treat him. And maybe even for the first time, you might confess your sins to God and repent and trust in Jesus who will not leave you or forsake you. God is faithful. God keeps his people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are too good to us. Father, thank you 
for sending your son. Thank you for his obedience. Thank you for his sacrifice in place of us. And thank you that though we deserve to be abandoned and though we have been ashamed of you, though we have denied you like Peter, you have not denied your people. In fact, you have time and time again been merciful to us. Father, you continue to show us that our faith is not dependent on how strong we are, but how strong you are to keep your people. Would you help us be thankful for this? Would you help us love you more and more because of this as we see it and continue to see it? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And will you stand with us as we sing one final song?